Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Romans chapter 8 and reading for our text verse 34, but just the last part of that verse. Who also maketh intercession for us. The intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole verse reads, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The verse of our text, it begins... Who is he that condemneth? In the beginning of the chapter, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And it is a reminder that by nature we are under condemnation. As Adam fell, so did also sin come upon all the human race, and death came upon all, and all have sinned, and therefore all are under the curse. Cursed is he that continueth not in all things written in the law to do them. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore all by nature are under condemnation. The provision in the Lord Jesus Christ is a deliverance from that condemnation. It does not make those who are partakers of it to be sinless in this life, but it does make them that their sins are pardoned and forgiven and that they desire to live holy and upright lives here living upon the Lord Jesus Christ, following him and not following their sinful and corrupt nature. And it is the provisions of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ, in what he has done upon the cross and what he is doing in heaven that ensures that those that were given by the Father to the Son to redeem shall be redeemed, they shall be delivered from their sins and from eternal condemnation and that after death they shall be in heaven and at the end of the world their bodies also, the creature that we read of in this chapter, shall be resurrected and in a glorified body appear in the presence of God. In this life there is a conflict between that new nature uh, of faith and uh, spirit of life in Christ and our old nature, our old flesh. The world also is the adversary of the people of God and so is Satan himself. We have a still a wicked and an evil heart. And against these things, the gospel has a provision and it is a living saviour that intercedes for his people in heaven. Not only did he die, not only did he rise again, but he is at the right hand of the Father. And in our text, we have a provision which ensures that those whom the Lord has died to redeem and has loved with an everlasting love, are brought safely through this world and brought to be with him at last. And it is because the Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for us. Now intercession means intervening on the behalf of of another. This chapter sets forth such a complete provision in Christ. Even if we don't understand every verse, every statement, or how it is coming apart, coming to pass, 
Yet we cannot escape in reading this chapter to see here is a provision that delivers from condemnation. Here is a provision that ensures that those that are Christ and given to him shall never be separated from the love of Christ. In verse 35 after our text, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And there is set before us the various things of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword. And then the persuasion at the end that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we cannot escape the fact, the message of this chapter is a complete deliverance from condemnation that doesn't have any weak links in it. And part of that provision is this intercession of our Lord, him intervening on our behalf, speaking for us in heaven's high court for good. So I want to look this evening at three points. Firstly, the need of intercession for us. Why do we need someone to speak on our behalf? Why cannot we do it ourselves? Secondly, the intercessor is Jesus Christ. He is set forth in the earlier part of this verse. And then thirdly, the intercession Jesus makes for us. And in that and under that heading, we shall go to John chapter 17, the Lord's beautiful intercessory prayer, where we find there very clear four headings under which his intercession falls. But firstly, the need of intercession for us. We've already mentioned the fall of our first parents when sin entered into the world as they rebelled against God, believed Satan, and so brought upon them the sentence of death. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. They died spiritually, immediately, not capable then of knowing God, of being with God, of having fellowship with him, cast out of the garden, but then also physical death, that though those first patriarchs lived many hundreds of years, in the end they all died. And we all must die because of sin. And after death, then the judgment. And so in that alienated condition from God, we cannot come ourselves in the presence of God and speak for ourselves. God cannot look upon sin without utter abhorrence, and there's none that can see God and live, and that way unto God, it needs to be there a mediator, one that can speak for both sides, one that can stand in the breach, one that can speak on the behalf of those that are sinners. And so we have right from the early uh, history of the world and that described in the Word of God, those illustrations of intercession. We have the case of Abraham when God saw the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham's uh, Lot was in Sodom and he made intercession to the Lord. Would he destroy the righteous with the wicked? Would Lot be destroyed as well with the wicked? And he said that if there be found 50 in the city, the, the Lord would not destroy it for 50's sake. 
And if there were then lacking of that 55, the Lord said he would not destroy it. For if there were 45 righteous people in that city, then he got down to 10. He would not destroy it for 10 saints. But there were not 10. And the angels were sent to Sodom, and Lot was brought out of Sodom. And in the day that he came out, then God rained fire and brimstone and destroyed those cities of the plain for their wickedness. But we read this word, When God destroyed Sodom, then he remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the overthrow. And we can see the benefit, the blessing, the pointing to how effectual intercession was, intervening on his behalf that large part of chapter 18 in Genesis where Abraham is pleading really for Lot in this situation where he was living in the midst of wickedness. And is not that where we are today? The world itself today is very much like Sodom. Men declaring openly their sin as the sin of Sodom. And the people of God in the world, but not of it. It was said of Lot that he vexed his righteous soul day to day with their wicked deeds. And we must needs be in the world. We should be careful where we pitch our tent, as Lot should have been. But nevertheless, we have that evil round about us and we would value the intercession of one on our behalf in the situation that we are in. We think then also of Moses for Israel when Israel had made the golden calf and they worshipped it and God was so angry with them that he said that he would destroy them and that he would raise up of Moses another people. But Moses pleaded on behalf of Israel and he used as his plea God's own word, his own undertaking to bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And that if he didn't do it, then the nations around would say that he was not able to. And therefore, he destroyed them in the wilderness. And he pleaded then God's own honour and glory and righteousness, his faithfulness. And it was an effectual prayer, an intercession based not upon the goodness of Israel because they had none. They had sinned, shamefully sinned. But his intercession was all based on God himself, God's promises, God's work. And he's a real lesson to us of the need of intercession, of what is effectual intercession. What would not have been effectual is if Moses had tried to find some good thing about Israel and prayed that before the Lord. That would not have been effectual for you and I in our prayers as well. When we are under conviction of sin, when we know we have sinned, don't try and drag up some goodness and something that we've done as a reason why the Lord should have mercy upon us. Remember, mercy can never be deserved or earned. But when we plead for mercy, we plead it for Christ's sake, a basis on what he has done. So we have in Moses a type of the intercession of our Lord, an illustration of the need of intercession as the children of Israel needed it. We think of the case of Samuel. And there's a couple of occasions when the children of Israel pleaded and said to Samuel, the priest, that he would make intercession for them to God. One time was when the Philistines were uh, coming to attack them. That was after the ark had been in the land of the Philistines. And then another occasion was when they had desired a king. Uh, and uh, again, the Lord showed his displeasure 
upon them in sending the thunder and rain, hail uh, on their harvest time. And they, the children of Israel, desired that Samuel, as their priest, would speak on their behalf to God, making intercession for them. And that he did. And again, we have another time of the need of an intercessor and one that is provided in the form of a priest for Israel with, in the wilderness. It was provided in Moses. Moses who said, The prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto you, like unto me him shall ye hear. Moses, he spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have another type of that intercession in the long prayer of Solomon in the dedication of the temple. In that prayer, he supposed many situations that the children of Israel would come into, whether it was in famine or carried away as a captive or when they knew the plague of their own heart. And that if they then were to look and pray toward this place, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. Now the place was literally the temple that he'd built. That temple was a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have two characters that in their times of need are specifically stated in Scripture as looking toward Jerusalem or looking toward the temple just as Solomon had made that intercession that if they should do that, the Lord would hear. One of them was Daniel, when he had been carried away captive and there in Babylon, opening his window three times a day and making his prayer toward Jerusalem. Daniel, a man of faith, yes, in the first part of Daniel's captivity, the the temple would have been still standing. But then after 25 years or so, that would have been destroyed. But these would have still been remembered. And the problem. Then we have the case of Jonah. Jonah, when he was running away from the Lord, not doing the Lord's bidding, cast into the sea, swallowed up by the fish, and in the belly of the fish, then... He cried unto the Lord, I am cast out of thy sight, yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. And the Lord spake unto the fish. He said, uh, Jonah had said, Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited him out onto the dry ground. And so again, the intercession is remembered, it is pleaded, it is looked for, and may we be, when we get into those low places because of our sin, because of what we have done, because of our captivity, because of being far off from the Lord, that we remember his intercession. We look to him, we look to the Lord. When we feel we cannot pray, we read in this chapter, Romans 8, didn't we? The Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. To remember that when we cannot pray, we have one that prays for us and speaks for us. The hymn writer speaks in the Joseph Irons in their last hymn, in the hymn book, hymn 1156. What voice is that which speaks for me in heaven's high court for good? From the curse has set me free, tis Jesus' precious blood. And so there are those that had a mind to the intercession set forth by Solomon in that prayer, which the Lord said that prayer was heard. Thinking of Daniel, we have Daniel himself in captivity making that intercession for his people. In Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel understood by books that the time of captivity was coming to an end, then he set himself by prayer and supplication, sackcloth and fasting, and prayed to the Lord, made confession, joining himself with sinful Israel, 
Though he was a godly and upright man himself, yet he numbers himself with his people and he makes intercession for them. We read in the ninth chapter from verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Notice what sake and what he is pleading for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not, for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And notice this intercession that he is praying to God on behalf of his people all the time. He is doing it for the Lord's sake and for his name's sake and not for anything good in Israel. And when we know our sinnership, when we have nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, we will value such intercession as this, because it does not based upon anything good that we have done. Then we think of the case of Esther. And I'll just briefly mention this. Remember in the book of Esther that Haman had devised to have all of the Jews destroyed. And Esther had been raised up in the providence of God to be married to King Ahasuerus and to be then queen, and she was in a position to speak for her people and to make intercession to the king for them, that they might not die, but that they might live. And she did that in two parts. She did it first to expose what uh, Haman had done. And then when that had been exposed, then to put away the mischief, and make a second decree, giving the people power to fight and to resist against all those that sought to destroy them. When that second decree was known, it was a cause of great joy to the people. And may we remember under the Gospel that our Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with Satan, he's dealt with our sin, and also given us authority to resist the devil and he has promised to flee that he will flee from us and to fight the good fight of faith and to lay hold upon eternal life. And though we are weak and our enemies are strong, yet we have that authority from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to fight and to seek those things which are above and not to be under dominion to sin and evil. So we have these types that run through the scriptures of those that spoke for another and emphasising each time that there was need of an intercessor, need of one to speak on another's behalf and that one was not able to speak on their own behalf. The effectual way, the gospel way, is that there is one in heaven, one in an authority, in a position to be able to speak for us. So I want to look then secondly at who this is, the intercessor Jesus Christ. Now in our text it speaks of three things that define who he is. It is Christ that died, yea rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. Christ died, Christ rose, Christ is at the right hand of God. 
thinking of the first point here. If Christ were but a mere man, a sinful man, then his dying would avail nothing because as a sinner, he had no choice but to die. His death would not have put away his own sins, let alone anyone else's. For Christ to die and his death to be effectual, he must be truly God, spotless and sinless. The whole scripture emphasises the need of the doctrine of Christ to be right. Let it not be that he is a created angel, but that he is Emmanuel, God with us. The Jews rightly interpreted our Lord's own words to be that he testified that he was God. They put it in this way, that thou being a man makest thyself God. The truth was that he being God had made himself man. But God and man he is in one person, two distinct natures. God cannot die, but the Lord Jesus Christ could by voluntarily act to lay down his life. And that is what he did. I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Those are those whom the Father gave to him, chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world, and they are they that he has put their sins away through his bloodshedding, through his death upon Calvary's tree. There is in the previous verses here a beautiful linked chain of which we are told from verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. We have this link chain. The link that we know first is the link of calling. When we are called by God, the same as being born again, the same as being drawn by the Father to the Son, the same as being regenerated, the same as being given eternal life, it is that calling that makes known our election. It makes known that God foreknew us. It makes known that he had predestinated us to be in this life, his people that know and feel their sin and therefore are conformed to Christ, who in this life bore the sins, not his own, but of many. And... To that end, we were then called, changed, given a new nature. And when that happens, then we not only can look back to what has been, but look forward. And of course, the chapter that we're in, Romans 8, them he justified what is justified, to set free from condemnation or account free from guilt and this whole chapter sets forth that and then not only justified but glorified that is brought to heaven to be with the Lord and so the Lord Jesus Christ must vitally be made under the law and made of a woman made like unto his brethren, but sin accepted, to be in a position to be able to lay down his life as a ransom, to pay the debt his people could not pay, to settle accounts for them, to bear the wrath of God in 
their place. And this is what is set forth about the intercessor. It is Christ that died, the one who is making this intercession, the one who is speaking for his people, died, lay down his life. Then we have, yea, rather, that is risen again. He hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Death could have no power upon him, because he had not sinned. And the price that he had paid, it shows that it was accepted, an acceptable sacrifice. Of him he saw no corruption, because there was no cause of death in him. Pilate could not see it, no, but the Lord knew for whom he died, for whom he has laid down his life. And so we have the risen Saviour, we may remember how vital and important that this is. There's 40 days between when Christ rose from the dead and when he ascended up into heaven. 40 days is a testing time, a proving time. Our Lord was tempted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness by Satan. A very comparable temptation to what Adam had. Adam had all the food of the Garden of Eden. He had everything to the full. He wasn't hungry, he wasn't in want, but tempted with one forbidden thing he found. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he fasted 40 days and afterwards we are told he was and hungered. Then came Satan, command ye these stones that they may be made bread. And he was on this premise, if thou art the Son of God, you command and do it. Our Lord resisted that temptation. He was not going to be the servant of Satan, alleviating his own hunger by a miracle and making himself a servant of Satan. No. Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We think of the children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness, to try thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou would serve the Lord or no. We think of the 40 days that Goliath stood up against Israel and no deliverer was found, not in Saul, not in his mighty men, but only in David, when David was sent by his father to the battle. And so David was propelled in front of all of Israel as the next king of Israel. Forty days was a vital time. We think of the Ninevites, Jonah, forty days the city shall be destroyed. It is a testing time. And in that forty days after Christ rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples not to the world, but to those that were before chosen. Paul has a very clear summary of that in uh, the first epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 15, where he says that our Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then we have the witnesses, seen of Cephas, that is Simon Peter, then of the twelve, after that, seen above five hundred brethren at once. And then he speaks of James and of all the apostles, and last of all, of him. The many witnesses testify the resurrection of our Lord. When our Lord appeared in the upper room, and they were so fearful that it was a spirit. The Lord showed them. He said, the spirit doth not have flesh and blood, flesh and bones as ye see me have. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And he ate before them. He proved to them, as we have stated in our articles of faith, that the same flesh and bones that hung upon the cross are now glorified in heaven. And so we have the intercessor, Jesus Christ, 
set before us here, not only that died, but yea, rather, that is risen again. Then ascended up, who is at the right hand of God. How do we know that? We know when Stephen was being martyred, the stones falling upon him, he looked up into heaven and he testified of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ there. We know also that the disciples, they were led out as far as to Bethany. He lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and he was carried from them into heaven. And while they stood looking up into heaven, there stood by them angels in white, saying, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus that went into heaven shall come in like manner, and he shall come the second time without sin unto salvation. We would remember as well that Elijah was, uh, when he died, when he was to be taken up into heaven, asked Elisha, who was with him, ask a thing that I may give thee before I am taken from thee. And Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit. Elijah said that was a hard thing, but if he saw him when he was taken from him, then that would be granted. Well, Elisha did see it, and those that looked on when Elijah went, Elisha went back over Jordan, they said the spirit of Elijah resteth upon Elisha. And we find that Elijah, he wrought about eight or eight miracles, Elisha 16, double portion. And the sign of it was that if Elisha was to see him, when Elijah was taken from him, then that would be granted. Elisha did see Elijah taken up by whirlwind in the chariot of fire into heaven. The disciples, in like manner, the Lord had said to them, And greater miracles shall ye do than these, because I go unto the Father. And the disciples as well saw the Lord taken from them. And he had given them a sign that I will pray the Father or make intercession to the Father and he shall give you another comforter which shall abide with you forever. Tarry at Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And at the day of Pentecost that power came. They spake with tongues. Uh, they uh, believed. Thousands believed. And these miracles, this blessing followed the preaching of the apostles, they always ascribed it to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, even his shadow falling on those that were left by the wayside was the means of healing them. And he raised the dead, healed the sick, preached the gospel, many believed, many were saved, and there was abundant evidence that he that was crucified risen again and ascended into heaven, was working with them. We read, the disciples went everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So we know that our Lord ascended up into heaven. His power is still there. His power is still put forth for his disciples, his people, and that there, he makes intercession. There he is at the right hand of the Father, a living Saviour, a voice that speaks to us, appearing in the presence of God for us. God and man in one person, a mediator. We're told the mediator is not a mediator of one, but he must be of two, between God and man. We have a beautiful... Uh, type set forth in in Hebrews chapter seven. For such, uh, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, 
separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. This is our intercessor. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who speaks for us and intercedes for us in heaven. Well then in our third point, what is his intercession that he makes for us? Well, this I want to direct you to the Gospel according to John and chapter 17. We have in this chapter a beautiful intercessory prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we look at four very distinct headings of what the Lord is making here, intercession for his people, Let us think of who the intercession is made for. In verse uh, 6, we have, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Now in the first place, of course, this is speaking of the twelve, of the apostles. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. But really that does apply to all of God's people that are given to the Lord from the world. Uh, They will have the name of the Father manifested to them. He says in verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So again, we have a distinction between the world and between those that are not of the world that have been given by the Father to the Son. Then we have in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me, through their word. And that then embraces all of the people of God right through to the end of the world. The Lord makes intercession for his own, for those that were given to him of the Father, those that he makes a distinction with as different from the world, those that he makes intercession for. If we are amongst those that have been given the word of God, God manifested to us that we are delivered or separated from the world because we are not of the world, then we know that we do have an interest in the intercession of our Lord. And I believe when we look quickly then at these four headings, we'll see there are things that really should be a great rejoicing to us that the Lord should ever speak to his Father and make intercession regarding these points. The first one is that his people be kept. In verse 11, we have the intercession, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. He says, I kept them in thy name, those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture should be fulfilled, that is Judas. And his praying is that they might be kept from the evil. We think of how this worked out in Peter's case. The Lord said to him, Satan hath desired to have thee to sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. I have made intercession for thee. Uh, Satan is desired to have you have all of the people of God. But when an individual like Peter comes into Satan's sieve, then we know we have that intercessory prayer of our Lord. When thou art converted, restored, then strengthen thy brethren. And so Peter in his epistles, 
He speaks of those that are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last day. Dear friends, when we feel sin within us and evil without us and evil all around us, when we feel to have so many adversaries and so many enemies, may this be a great source of comfort to us, the intercession of our Lord, that we might be kept. Christ is the keeper of our souls. No man can keep alive his own soul, but we have the Lord speaking on our behalf in this matter. The second one is that we might be sanctified. In verse 17 we read, Sanctify then through thy truth, thy word is truth. And again reinforced in verse 19, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through, thy tr- through the truth. That is separated. What a separation there is when he says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. And yet it's that very word that is separating them to the Lord and as the washing of water by the word, teaching us to walk in a holy way, an upright way, and to be a vessel prepared unto glory. This again should be a great comfort to us. It is the Lord that sanctifies us. It is his intercession that brings us to the word and the word to us and causes us to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. Remember that, dear friends. We not only have an intercessor that prays for our keeping, but also our sanctification. The third intercession is in verse 21 that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. God's people are not to be separated individuals. They are part of one church, a redeemed church. We read in John's epistles, by this, or our Lord saying, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples indeed, in that ye love one another. And John in his epistles gives us a token of being a child of God. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. So the great blessing for the people of God, and I hope it is our desire, is that there be a oneness with the brethren, that we walk together in love, in union, in peace, edifying one another in love, as iron sharpeneth iron, so the countenance of a man his friend, and at last to be brought to the temple above, brought there to be part of that innumerable multitude, a multitude that sees eye to eye, that all have been redeemed by the same precious blood of Jesus Christ, shared at the same place at Calvary, at the same time that he died. No difference between the people of God in how they were redeemed and saved and washed in the precious blood of Jesus. And so when we feel and when we know the divisions in Zion, when we have the strains between the brethren, May this also be a comfort to us that the Lord's intercession regards this point, that there be that reconciling, there be that oneness. They shall see eye to eye, every one of them appearing in Zion. So then we have the last point of intercession, and that is in verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Many of the people of God we fear lest we make shipwreck, lest we shall not get safe home to glory, 
There's some sin, something shall come in between, or we shall fall away. And when we see some that have, uh, we, we fear lest we will be like them. But we know those for whom Christ has died, he will make intercession for. And this is part of his will, his intercession, that they are brought to be with him. That is his will. And that again should be a great comfort to us that the voice that we have that speaks to us, speaks for us in heaven, is speaking in this way. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. May that be a real comfort to us. This is his will. This is what he prays for. And under these headings, you think of many situations in our lives that there will be many different intercessions. Many times the Lord has come in for us, spoken for us, that would be gathered under these heads. But they are the essential points that are set before us in this intercessory prayer that the Lord would have us to know that he that is the same in heaven as what he was on earth speaks to these same things and makes intercession for us. So we have then this beautiful word, this precious truth of an intercessor, one at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. It may be this evening we... We had already thought of Christ dying for us, risen for us, and even in heaven. But may this remain with us, this also, who also maketh intercession for us. Something perhaps you or I have forgotten, or not realised the importance of, or the comfort of. And may this evening this be renewed to us, as being a wonderful, precious truth, that we bless God that ever there was this also in this verse, who also maketh intercession for us. Amen.